Hello, and welcome to the Designing with Love podcast. I am your host, Jackie Pellegrin, where my goal is to bring you information, tips, and tricks as an instructional designer. Hello, GCU students and alumni. Welcome to Episode 8 of the Designing with Love podcast. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing an expert. Her name is Ruth Douthit, and I have... Uh, the privilege of working with her every day. She's a curriculum developer at the same organization, and we're on the same team together. Thank you, Ruth, for having the opportunity to come and have the interview with me today. Of course. Thank you, Jackie, for having me. This is great. Yes, you're welcome. I think we'll uh, my students will glean a lot of wonderful information from you. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I've been in curriculum development now since, oh wow, 2005. I can't believe it. It's been that long. And uh, I worked as an adjunct faculty in a community college where they pretty much just handed me a syllabus and a book and said, go write your curriculum. So I was blessed to have been able to go back to school and get a master's in curriculum and instruction that I was able to implement all the lessons I learned into my classroom immediately. So that helped me improve my teaching skills and my curriculum. And then I was blessed to transition over to Grand Canyon University, where I joined their curriculum department way back in 2009 and enjoyed learning more about curriculum and instruction there. But then my lifelong dream of becoming a teacher came true in 2012, and I entered the classroom for the first time, my own classroom. It was so wonderful, and I taught writing and language arts. And it was odd because I started at age 45 when most teachers are retiring. I was starting, and I knew I probably wouldn't be a teacher forever, but I always wanted an opportunity, and God gave it to me. So I was able to take what I learned as a curriculum developer, even in the online, you know, modality into my own classroom. And I had to design and uh, implement my own curriculum using the state standards and the school standards. So that was quite a challenge. Did that for four years. It was a lot of modifying and adjusting, evaluating, yeah. uh, learning from mistakes that I made. And that's okay. We all make mistakes as long as we learn from them. But I also returned to school to learn more. I did some continuing ed courses over the summer and took some courses at local schools on how to teach grammar to middle school students, including sentence diagramming, which was a blast. So I did that for four years and thoroughly enjoyed myself, learned a lot about curriculum and instructional design. But then I felt it was time to leave and come back to a curriculum development over here at GCE, did that in 2016, where I met you. Yay! Yes. And we've been working together ever since, again, learning new things every day. It's been such a blessing to see it grow with all the new programs and such, but curriculum development kind of stays the same. Uh, we always use the ADDI method of instructional design and understanding by design. It's wonderful. I thoroughly enjoy it. Meeting new people, learning new things, talking with subject matter experts, etc. So yeah, I've been doing this for a long time and I really, really enjoy it. That's great. Yeah. It's, it's nice when you, when you can have those different experiences and then come back to mm -hmm. where your where one of your passions are and really take those, those different types of experiences you've had and really make yeah. it work well. So 
I knew yeah. I would probably come back, so I did. I made sure not to burn any bridges. That's important. <laughs> uh, when I left, because I knew I always loved it here, but I always wanted to try and, and teach. So in the back of my mind, I always knew I'd come back and uh, was thrilled to have the opportunity. So, yeah. That's great. So you did talk a little bit about what you do as a curriculum developer. So what? Um, maybe we can take this question and spin it a little bit instead of maybe what kind of work do you currently do? Maybe what does your typical day look like as a curriculum mm. developer for my students that want to go into to be a curriculum developer or some, mm. some similar role? Sure. Yeah. Well, it definitely consists of checking systems every morning. We have a really nice system that organizes our project. And so my day consists of opening up that system and checking my queue for due dates and such and new projects. So I hit the ground running to make sure my projects are underway, getting started, scheduling meetings, of course, a lot of meetings uh, with our subject matter experts so that I can start to glean information from them communicating with you, uh, the instructional designer, so that you can check programs for alignment and everything to at the very, very start. But mostly it's, it's a lot about balancing projects, making sure deadlines are being met, um, tasks are being completed, communication is being done. We have to be excellent communicators, uh, keeping our subject matter experts up to speed as to what's going on. And next steps in the projects, of course. But uh, a lot of it is just coming up and, and trying to be creative with the assessment ideas and not falling into a repeated pattern over and over again, but trying to be as creative as we can with our assessments because we keep in mind what our students need to know, you know, when they get out there in the real world, what do they need to know to be successful? What skills do they need to have? You know, things like that. Because the subject matter experts, as you know, are experts in typically one or two areas. They might be teachers too at our school or in the college, but if not, they tend to just think about um, what they want students to know. So it's up to us to come up with some creative ideas and remind the subject matter experts that our students are headed out into the real world. So what creative ideas can we come up with to prepare them for their jobs? You know, and, I know with you, you've always helped me by asking questions rather than just telling the SMEs things, but maybe asking them, you know, is this something that the students will do in the, in their career, in their, in their field, you know, things like that. So right, we always try to brainstorm ahead of time, do a little bit of research ahead of time, come to the meetings prepared. But I think uh, that kind of sums it up, meetings, systems, and preparation. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, so we we serve in our own capacity as project managers and mm -hmm. being able to collaborate on that daily basis. So it's definitely, like you said, that having the ability to be able to do all that and, and be able to do it well is, uh, is mm -hmm. the key because otherwise your projects will fall behind if, yeah. if we don't have good project management skills, for sure, definitely. So how did you initially become interested in in the curriculum developer position, how did it come across? Was it just a, a job position you found initially in 2006 with GCU or how did it that's come a across? Good, uh, that's a good question. When I was teaching over at GCC, uh, it was part-time and that suited me well because our son was pretty young. But then when he started high school, I thought, you know, it's probably time for me to get a full-time job. And I really didn't think that these kind of jobs, you know, curriculum 
development actually existed. To tell you the truth, I had no idea. But my brother-in-law worked at Grand Canyon, and so he just happened to let me know, you know, hey, they're hiring. So I went onto their website because I had been a student at Grand Canyon way back in the day, 1985 to 1988. And so I thought, well, that's pretty neat. I had no idea that they, number one, were still up and running, and number two, had gone online. I had no idea. So I went onto their website and saw a job opening for curriculum design and development. And I thought, whoa, you've got to be kidding me. So when I read the job requirements, I thought, yeah, that's what I've been doing in my own, you know, classroom over at the community college. So I applied and got in for an interview. It was rather intimidating. There were about eight people in the room to interview me. And that was just part one. (laughs) Part two was four more people came into the room. But it was neat how they were asking me questions that I knew the answers to because of my master's degree. My master's in ed had prepared me and they were saying, so what would you do if this happened? And how did you handle this? And I, you know, had experienced everything that they asked me. So I was able to come up with those answers right away. And I I think that that's what really helped me was uh, my experience in the education. So, so I got hired in 2009, and it was a blast. I really enjoyed it. I remember texting my husband saying, I am reading this amazing course for the College of Business, and I'm getting paid for it. I can't believe this. <laughs> I said, this is like the best job ever. <laughs> that is so cool. And I think fast forward all these years, I still enjoy it. I still reading. I enjoy reading the content that the subject matter experts send us, and uh, visualizing the students taking the course and, and enjoying themselves. So yeah, it's pretty, pretty neat. Yeah. That's, it's neat to see how, how things have evolved and in, mm-hmm. in the industry over time too. And Oh yes. The back technology. Then, mm-hmm. Yeah. Back then we didn't have a system to organize anything and what it consisted of was us sending topics and objectives to SMEs waiting a few days and they would send everything back to us all the lectures and assignments and all we would do is read through them and you know for like APA um, citations if they were missing and things like that ask them a few questions what did you mean by that or what did you mean by this and then send it back to them and then waiting for them to get get it back to us and then we would put it into the templates that the editors wanted and then email it to the editor the lead and she would divide it up to her team. And then from there, it would go to another team that put it into the system. So that was what we did back then. It's pretty interesting. Wow. So there was yeah. really no collaboration involved and no, no. no back and forth like we have now. And not what we at do. all. Wow. Yeah, I would just sit over my cubicle. Sometimes I would see maybe one or two people. And that was it. I wouldn't talk to hardly anybody. And we, we would have a staff meeting once a week, I believe it was. And that's where I would see everybody. But yeah, that didn't, that was November of 2009. We didn't start collaborating until roughly that June of 2010. That's when the whole department changed and we hired instructional designers. That's when Ryan came along and a few others. And we had an, uh, a team that managed the system, the learning management system. And then we started to change. Ryan and the other IDs came up with what we called a detail course outline, a DCO. I remember that. 
That yeah. consisted, yeah, of questions that we would ask, more specific questions, instructional design questions that we would ask the SMEs. And then we would actually meet with the SMEs in a room and talk with them, with the editors there. That was the first time we, we started doing that around spring of 2010 into the summer. And that's when I started to meet the AW, the academic web services designers and meet with the editors. That's when I got to know Wayne and all the other editors. And so, yeah, other, before that, it was just us sitting there doing our work and that was about it. So. Mm, Wow. How it's changed since Mm -hmm. then. Absolutely. So are there any specific areas in which you're expanding your knowledge and skills in the field, uh, especially with technology, right? As it's Mm -hmm. expanding. So are there any areas where you find you're interested in or you're trying to expand your knowledge so you can stay up to date on what's happening in the field? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I do have a master's in curriculum and instruction, but I don't really utilize too much of the instructional design anymore. Like I did when I had my own classroom, I had to really look at the instructions and if it made sense to the student. And I was shocked at how many fellow teachers didn't have that in their background. So they would come to me and say, how do I make sure I'm assessing these objectives? You know, how do I make sure I'm looking at the state standards and making sure I'm assessing these in my curriculum. And, and I would just sit there dumbfounded, like, really, you don't know how to do this? It shocked me. <laughs> so I had to really teach them how to do it. And that was, of course, uh, reaffirming my education in that, you know, I was reinforcing what I had learned. So today, though, as you mentioned, everything is technology. And so you've been helping me uh, look at RISE 360. I want to learn more about that, how to create these e-learning modules and micro-learning for, uh, to possibly, you know, do professional development and then eventually maybe start to put that in our courses. Things like that, you know, I feel like curriculum developers should be aware of and, and learn more about those bits of technology. That's what's going to make us marketable. But help students too. You know, we don't always have to just rely on essays and exams, but try and come up with creative ways to focus on a topic. And maybe like you were saying with uh, micro learning one objective at a time, I think that makes it easier for instructors to really assess if the students are getting it, you know, if they're learning the concept before they move on to the next topic. Right. Uh, right. We really want our instructors to feel like they're instructing and for students to be able to maybe check for understanding to see if they're getting it themselves. You know what I'm saying? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And micro learning has become so huge right now. And so mm-hmm. in the classes that I'm teaching, you know, it's, it's, it's a big thing. And even with my other expert interview, he brought that up too with micro learning. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely a trend uh, for mm-hmm. sure. So that's exciting. Absolutely. That's wonderful. Is there, are there any other areas that you can think of that are also kind of um, areas that you are looking at expanding in as well? Well, I, I think I've done enough teaching now. I don't really feel the need to go back to teaching, but right. if there's ways to help faculty, you know, so I think maybe putting together some professional development sessions for faculty and uh, to help them understand a little bit more about our assessments, how we develop them, how we come up with them, what we mean by authentic assessments, and kind of give them an idea of what we do here at Curriculum Development 
to kind of come alongside them and support them. Sometimes I feel like they're not being supported enough and we could maybe come alongside them a little bit more and help them. That's something that I've been thinking about for, I'd say, about a year or so. When I was a faculty, and maybe you feel this way, but when I was a faculty teaching, I felt alone. I was all by myself. I would only ever see other faculty at our meetings in August at the beginning of the semester. And then maybe at the end of the semester, we'd have one last meeting. And then that was it. <laughs> I never saw any of the other faculty. <laughs> yeah. So I felt like uh, I could have used some more support, and especially in curriculum. I think that would have been helpful. So if maybe we could come up with some ideas to come alongside faculty and assist them, I think that's something that's uh, on my heart. That's fantastic. Yes, because I agree. There's, uh, unless uh, you're on campus teaching and you have that day to day interaction with other faculty and, and the administrators and the leadership mm-hmm. of the college, it's hard. Or even online full time faculty, they, I, I would believe they would get that sense of connection. But with, um, mm-hmm. with the adjunct faculty, you do kind of feel like you're, your own little island and you only yeah. get to unless you have a webinar that you get to go to or a online training or there's the dean speaker series or something that's that's about it it's the only time mm-hmm. that they get to interact with other faculty and have the connection i mean they do have things in in the in the community area but um with the innovation and research teaching area but it's really not mm-hmm. much <laughs> so it would yeah. be nice to have that and and it's hard too because I know faculty training does the best they can, but yeah, they don't yeah. have that expertise like we have in the yeah. curriculum and instructional design areas. So being able to come alongside them, I love that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, exactly. Just to maybe explain where we come up with our, our authentic assessment ideas, how mm-hmm. we come up with them. You know, right? Exactly. Great. And the last question, and I think this is something that a lot of my students will love to hear is uh, what are some tips and advice you can share with those who are currently in the master's program in instructional design here at GCU? Oh yeah. Number one, make sure you share what you've learned with the other teachers because not all the other teachers at your school have the opportunity to go back to school and get a master's degree. And many of them in their bachelor's program only learned about classroom management and curriculum. So they sometimes lack that instructional design training. So definitely share, do professional developments for the whole staff, you know, get, make them aware of what's out there and how they can use technology to help, you know, uh, teach the lessons, help with learning, you know, inside their classroom. And and it also creates collaboration, too. So there's that. And then I would just, uh, my most, I think my main advice would be to keep up with technology, keep up with what's happening, um, and always be willing to try something new to leave your comfort zone. I know it's hard, but try and leave your comfort zone from time to time and challenge yourself. But don't stress yourself out, of course. And look for problems and be a problem solver to propose solutions to those problems wherever you're working, whether it's in a school or an organization, be uh, problem focused, but also solution based, you know, come up with that. Bosses love to hear uh, solutions to problems that you've pointed out. So if you're working in a system, you're working in an organization, always be aware of what's working, but maybe propose some ideas to make things better too. They love that at organizations. And lastly, I'd say document everything. Document everything that you do, every ideas that you come up with. 
find a way to take, you know, document all the things that you suggested, all your proposals, everything. So when you do have your evaluation, you can look back over your year and see how you've grown, see about the problems that you've saw, you know, uh, addressed, the actions you took to solve those problems and the results of your actions. Did productivity increase? Did you help out clients? Did you help out uh, teachers? <clears throat> Did your student scores go up? Things like that. Mm, I found that to be so helpful because it motivated me. And it also showed my manager or uh, the higher ups that I really care about where I work. So that's great. And probably too, if there's a way to show metrics to that, that's also probably helpful, especially for teachers, right? If they, if there was a year over year growth with their students, Mm -hmm. be able to show that. It's so helpful. You get to see if your lessons worked and Mm -hmm. if not, then you tweak them over the summer but I did a lot of tweaking over the summer. And when I would come back, uh, I would start to document my student scores. And at the end of the year, all all four years that I taught, my student scores rose. So that was kind of like a little pat on the back for me that what I was doing was working. And I saw the students leave more confident in what they were doing. And then, of course, it made the school look really good, too. So, yeah. Right. So it's a win-win all the way around. Mm-hmm. It's helpful for you. And it's also helpful for the school or the organization too. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Wow, that's great. Thank you so much, Ruth, for sharing all this great information. I know my students will glean so much information from what you've (laughs) shared and having experts come in and give that information. Um, I even have alumni students uh, give their their information and their advice too. So having that breadth and depth of of knowledge, I think is so Mm -hmm. helpful and advice. I think it really helps kind of eases everyone's mind a little bit when they're when they're getting ready to graduate and they have to face you know those interviews and things like that being prepared i think helps a little bit more with that absolutely it's been my pleasure yes (laughs) and 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 go lopes i wish them all the best of success (laughs) go lopes thank you so much ruth i appreciate your time and hopefully everyone uh, enjoys the the interview and is able to share it as well thank you jackie this has been great appreciate it Thank you for taking some time to listen to this podcast episode today. Please take a moment to like the episode and share it with others so they can learn about this topic as well. Have a great day.